Well, typically on this Sunday, I will preach a sermon about the resurrection. Um, this year, I'm going to do something a bit different. Um, you see, I think so many of us, we show up on Resurrection Sunday, and we're all excited to hear about Christ raising from the dead and what it means to us and how awesome that is. And then we go home and we have our ham dinners or our lamb chops, whatever we traditionally eat. And I'm not saying that anything is wrong with that, but in doing so, many of us, we miss out on what was accomplished on the cross three days before. And if you miss out on what has happened on the cross, you miss out on the power and the majesty of the resurrection. Because you see, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are intrinsically linked together. The resurrection solidified everything that was accomplished on the cross. The one always needs the other. The cross without the resurrection would mean nothing, and the resurrection without the cross would mean nothing. The two are linked together. And it's those two things linked together that sends shockwaves throughout the universe in the unseen realm and the seen realm. And so this morning, I'm going to focus on the cross, on Jesus and the cross, which will in turn make the resurrection all the more beautiful and all the more precious to behold. And I'm going to warn you, I'm sorry about this, but this is what I feel like God wanted me to preach on. I'm sorry, this morning's message isn't going to be some nice, easy, sit back and relax sort of sermon. It's going to be serious, almost hard to listen to at times. I'm going to go through a passage in Isaiah 53. So if you have your Bibles, please get them turned to Isaiah 53. It's in the Old Testament. And I'd highly encourage you to open up your Bible to that passage, Isaiah chapter 53. And the reason we're going to be doing this is today is because I want us to really take a close look at what happened to Jesus and then in turn of what happened to us. Because of what happened to Jesus, we're going to realize that something powerful has happened to you and happened to me. And I want us to really understand this and get this because I fear that so many of us have gone through so many Easter's and so many Good Fridays and maybe so many you know, Palm Sundays and so many times of Lent that we just go through the motions. And so this morning, I want to very much encourage you, don't go through the motions. God wants to bring us a time of healing as we go through this. And, and so my prayer is that as we go through this, as we stop and we stare at what Jesus went through, that it might bring healing and restoration to our lives, especially as a, as a time like this that we're going through. I want you to think and be open to the fact that something that you're dealing with today, something that you're going through today is going to be broken and freed in your heart through the work of Jesus. That when you walk away from your television screen or your iPad screen, you will have experienced a freedom that you've never experienced before because of what Jesus did on the cross over 2,000 years ago. It says in scripture, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, if you pay attention to the tense of that verb, have been healed, it's past tense. So what it's saying is that by Jesus' wounds, we have been healed, past tense. It's a finished work, healed by God. 
And if you believe in Jesus Christ, scripture clearly teaches us that our sin has been taken care of. Our shame has been put away. Our our guilt has been addressed. Pain and darkness are gone. We have received a spiritual healing from God. Past tense. We have been healed. We have a brand new heart with God. That is the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. You know, we all have had a deep spiritual sickness. We've talked about this before, but we're all sick, sick unto death, dead in our sins. Sin had wreaked its damage on us and left us dead. And, And without a remedy or solution for this spiritual sickness, you and I were going to die for our sins. That's just the reality. And I know this isn't fun to think about this morning. You might be thinking, Luke, why do you got to be such a Debbie Downer this morning? But that is the absolute reality of sin's work in our lives. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. That's the result of sin in our life. And this sin has deeply impacted us. Living in in a sin-filled world, the ripple of effects have deeply permeated our lives. All of us in some form or other, have come up against the effects of sin in real life-altering ways in our life. Things that we, have, we find ourselves slamming up against every day of our life. And, and we could talk about all, all these things and what they've done to us. For some of us, it may, mean, it may be that you have been abandoned in your life. Your, your father left you when you were a little kid. Your mother left you when you were just a little kid. Or maybe they never left physically. They were always there, but they weren't there. Not the way a mom should be. Not the way a dad should be. Some of you have been abandoned by your husbands or by your wives. Some of you have been abandoned by death. And somehow, in some way, you've been left alone and all by yourself. Some of us have been betrayed. Some have been rejected. Some have been abused in all sorts of different forms and different shapes. And some have been forsaken. Some have just been plain belittled and devalued and bullied their whole life. And it could be one year later, five years later, 20 years later, and you still hear that little voice in your your past telling you, you aren't good enough. You aren't worthy. You don't amount to anything. You're worthless. You'll never measure up. And that voice keeps playing over and over and over again. It doesn't leave you. Some of us, we either haven't been forgiven or we've chosen not to forgive. And many of us live with this deep-seated anger within us and it's buried really deep, but I tell you, all it takes is one little thing and it just comes out like a boiling volcano and spews out all over everyone. And we and those around us, we live with that anger every single day of our lives. Some of us, we hate ourselves. We literally despise ourselves. We, we blame ourselves for everything that's happening around us. My, my dad hates me. It must be my fault. My mom doesn't like me. It must be my fault. My parents have divorced. It must be my fault. And for one reason or the other, we have this self-hatred and we live with that and it leaks out in every facet of our life. And, and I guarantee you that there is someone watching today who is hurting themselves, who are doing hurtful things to your body because you hate yourself. 
And there are marks, literal marks on your body because you've chosen to inflict pain upon your body to somehow ease the pain in your heart that the physical pain somehow distracts you from the emotional pain. And like I said, I could go on and on and on with the devastation that sin has inflicted on our lives. And and each of us in our pursuit to numb this pain that sin has caused, we've chosen maybe to live a life of excess, a life of running after more and more things, more work. If I can just live, land that bigger, better deal, if I just had more money, if I had another outfit, if I could just have another donut, another bottle of painkillers, another glass of wine, another house, a bigger house, another car, a bigger car, another vacation, a bigger, more exotic vacation. And we run to this and we run to that, to anything to try to numb the pain in our lives. And Jesus is saying, come to me because by my wounds you have been healed. I will heal you. I have done what's needed to be done to heal you. And so I hope this morning that you do that. I want each of us to come to the cross of Christ and to stop and to stare at what Jesus did because there is power and there is healing to be found in it. I want to just start out by giving us a brief little statement and I want you to let the statement soak in, really take it in. Every wrong, every wrong that has ever been done has been swallowed up by the work of Christ. Listen to that. Every single wrong that has ever been done, whether you have done this wrong or someone has done it to you, has been swallowed up in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus paid it all. He's paid for every wrong, every wrong. And let's just stop for a second and let's just kind of consider the immensity of that. I mean, all of us just watching right now, everybody in in this room, how many of you have done wrong? Hold your hands. Not just elbow high. Don't just like, I think I have. No, raise it up high. Have you done wrong? Raise it up. How many of you have done something wrong towards yourself, something damaging to your life, something destructive to your life? How, How many of you have done something wrong that nobody knows about. Nobody. How many have done some really big things? And you might be wondering, well, big, big, medium, Luke, how, how high do I hold my hand? Now everybody's going to know this. But we all have. How many have done something wrong to something else? Someone else. How many of you feel like you've been wronged by someone else? Now, I hope what you're seeing here is that we're talking about a lot of wrong. And we're just a small group of people here in comparison to the whole world and all of humanity, humanity, but that is a ton of wrong. And what do we do with all that wrong? Do we just try to ignore it? Do we try to cover it, just pull a curtain over it? What do we do with all that wrong? Well, we're going to see today that through Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus took care of all that wrong. And because he took care of all that wrong, he can now make everything right and he can make you and me right again every wrong that has ever been done has been swallowed up by the work of Jesus Christ and my hope is that this morning we might see this we might agree with this 
we might believe in this, and we might choose to walk in this. May God give us eyes to see that powerful truth that Jesus paid it all. Have you guys ever gone out to dinner with someone, and when it comes time to pay for the bill, you fight over the bill? You know what I'm talking about? When the bill comes out, and you're, you're like, no, 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 I got, I got it. Let me have it. Tommy, let, I've got this, Tom. Let me have this. And he'll be fighting for it, and you're fighting back and forth. And I mean, it's a fun game, isn't it? I mean, it's just, we, we all play the game, but because the truth is, no one wants to pay for the bill. I mean, who would want to pay for the bill? No one wants to. But the game that we're playing is just we, who can give up first without losing face, really, is what it's all about. We're just be like, hey, no, no, I got no. Oh, you know what? Okay, I'll get the next one, Tom. Here you go. And you give him the bill. And we save face. The other day, uh, back when we were allowed to go out to dinner, um, I was out with a couple guys that I coached football with years ago. And we decided to go grab wings and... Uh, he came to the end of the dinner, and I asked the server, I said, hey, can, I, can you give me the bill? And she goes, oh, it's, it's already been paid for. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, it's already been paid for. I'm like, who paid for it? I, I didn't see the bill. And she goes, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you, but he did. And I'm like, Dean, what in the world, dude? No, you don't get to pay the bill. And he's like, dude, it, I've taken care of him. And then Sonny, he was, he was chiming in. We're all like, no, I'll, dude, we were supposed to, I was supposed to pay the bill. I came here tonight, and I was going to pay the bill. And we, we were going back and forth. And, and, and Dean is just like, you know what, guys? It's done. It's settled. I've taken care of it. It's paid for. And, and, and so I had to say those words that every human being has a hard time saying, I just had to look at Dean and say, thank you, thank you. And you know, that's where I want us to get this morning with Jesus. And I pray that God would get us there. There are so many of us who are carrying all kinds of stuff and all kinds of hurt and frustration and anguish and anger towards themselves and anger at other people. And Jesus has done something that is extremely and absurdly remarkable. He has put his hand between anything that comes against us and he says, it's done, it's done. I've taken care of it, I've paid for that. And what he wants us to do is just to simply and humbly look up into his eyes and say, Thank you. I'm not going to play the game, Jesus. I'm not going to put on a show. I'm not going to sit here and hold this receipt up and argue with the server to save face or try to look good. I'm just going to hand it to you, Jesus, because you say it's taken care of and you say it's done and that it's been settled. And if you say that by your wounds I am healed, then I am going to say that by your wounds I am healed. Thank you. I'm gonna shout this from the rooftops. By his wounds, I am healed. Yes, there may be a process. There always is with healing. But it is a finished work and I am healed. Here's my story. I'm healed by the finished work of Jesus. And what is that work of Jesus? Well, we don't, we don't have time to cover the immensity of the work of Jesus but I do want us to stop for a while and to stare at the work of Christ on that cross. You see, the first step to your freedom is to look at what Jesus did on that cross. And so let's do that this morning. Let's look at this amazing passage that is talking about Jesus. And you may want to write these things down because you're going to want to come back to these truths later um, when the enemy tries to inflict his lies on you. You're going to want to come back to these truths and you're going to want to cling to them and you're going to want to stand on them and hold them tight. 
And so write these down. In this passage, there are at least 20 things Jesus did. 20 things that he did that affects us. And the reason I want us to look at them today is because I don't want us to just, you know, be like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, hallelujah, and we call it a day. Jesus did more than just die on a cross. And unless we pause and we look at the immensity of it, we're going to miss it. And the prophet Isaiah graphically describes the work of Jesus in this one chapter. Like I said, this at times may not be easy. It's going to be tough to look at. But I want us to truly immerse ourselves into it because that's when we're going to experience the glory of the resurrection. So let's look at the the cross of Christ. And the first thing I want you to see is that in verse two, it says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In the middle of verse three, it says, like one from whom men hide their faces. And the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus was made ordinary in his humanity. And that's going to be part of our healing today. I know this may seem weird, but we need to see that Jesus was ordinary in his humanity. He didn't, he didn't have good looks. Are you hearing me this morning? He wasn't some Brad Pitt sort of looking kind of guy. He wasn't going to be in people's magazines, top 50 of the year of the best looking people of the world. He wasn't going to be featured on GQ magazine. He wasn't some guy that you'd pick up out of a lineup to be the Messiah. You know how we are. If we were going to pick out the Messiah and what he looked like, we'd be going, hmm, yeah, no, that, that guy's too short. That guy's too skinny, uh, too fat, yeah, too bald, too, too whatever. You know, and we think it's gotta, Jesus has got to be some European hunky looking dude with olive skin and, you know, amazing accent, a little bit of stubble, dark, beautiful eyes, you know, those smoky eyes and yet piercing blue. He's strong and yet he's tender. He's kind and yet he's firm. He's confident. He's got style. I mean, this is the guy you'd want on the big screen. And that's who you're always going to picture Jesus to be because that's the way he's always been portrayed to us. I mean, seriously, take a look at the actors of Jesus. Take a look at these, these people who played Jesus on, on, on the big screen. These guys make Jesus look like he was some GQ stud. You know, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but even the pictures in our Sunday school rooms growing up. How many of you guys went to Sunday school growing up? Okay. Do you remember the pictures of Jesus in the room? If there wasn't a picture of Jesus in your Sunday school room, you went to the wrong Sunday school. I'm just going to say that. But in my Sunday schools growing up, there was on one wall, there were maps of Paul's missionary journeys all over the world. And on the other wall, there was a picture of Jesus. And, and guys, it, it wasn't just any picture of Jesus. It was, this, it was in this beautiful oval wood frame, not some little cheapo half-inch metal frame that you get from the dollar store. This was a really nice, beautiful picture, sepia, sepia color, I don't know, so sepia or sepia colored at a time where they didn't have filters, so I don't know how that happened. But Jesus is, is laid out there, and his beard, if you look at the picture, his beard, 
I mean, it's impeccable at a time in a culture where they didn't have beard trimmers. His beard is beautiful. He had, you know, his hair is just beautiful. Had this nice little wash and dry. It was beautiful. His complexion was perfect. No acne, no pock marks, no scars. I mean, he looks good in these pictures. Now, I'm not mocking any movie or any artist. All I'm saying is that it isn't biblical. Because he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was a regular and maybe sub-regular looking guy. Ordinary in his humanity. He didn't come in this six foot six, 30 inch waist, cut and chiseled package. He was ordinary. Now why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important, because there is a person who is watching today where you can't get past the fact that you may be ordinary. And it's your hang-up. And you look at all your Instagram friends and all your Facebook friends and your Snapchat friends, and everybody looks amazing, but you don't. And you look at those pictures and you're like, well, why don't I look like her? Why don't I look like him? Why don't I look like that? Everybody in the world looks better than me. I'm ordinary. And if I'm just going to be honest, I'm subordinary. Well, congratulations. You can identify with Jesus. And I believe you can experience healing from that. What kind of healing? Well, it's a healing where you don't care if you look ordinary because you know that like Jesus, what the outside package looks like isn't what matters. It's what's on the inside that makes you extraordinary. And that's all that matters to God. We're in a culture that's turned that completely backwards to where the only thing we care about is looking extraordinary on the outside. And we will put a ton of time into that. And yet we place very little value about the inside. And there are millions of people who on the outside, man, they've got it going on. But they live with subordinary character and subordinary integrity and subordinary honesty. Their inside is an open tomb. And there's healing for someone today who's watching where you can walk away from the service today and you can say, you know what? I'm ordinary. Actually, let's call it like it is. I'm subordinary. You can put me in a group of a thousand people and no one's going to pick me based on my looks. But guess what? I know that the way I look on the outside isn't what matters to God. My spirit and my soul and my inner being is way bigger and way more important than this temporary body that's only going to last for a short time. On the inside, I know that I can and I intend to look like Jesus. And I'm not going to lose one more night of sleep just because of my subordinary outside. Number two, Jesus was despised and rejected by men. You see, Jesus wasn't the golden child. He... he they didn't like him. He didn't get applause wherever he went. Before he walked into the room, he, he didn't get announced like the president does. It wasn't like, ladies and gentlemen, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. And they're like, ah, oh, that's awesome. No, in fact, it was quite the opposite. Read scripture. It says, even his own brothers, they despised and rejected him. Everywhere he went, he got grief. He, he would get into conversations with people, and a lot of times they'd end up wanting to kill him. They'd want to stone him. 
He was despised. He was rejected. Everywhere he went, the religious people of that day would stand up to him and say, listen, yes, we believe God is going to send a Messiah, but you can't be that Messiah. You don't fit the mold. You don't fit the profile. Imagine that. The creator is standing amongst his creation and the creation is looking at the creator and saying, you're not good enough. You can't be part of God's redemption plan. You don't meet our expectations. You can't be that guy. He was despised and rejected and he dealt with that everywhere he went and that's gonna be someone's healing this morning because your life is a life of being despised and rejected and I want you to know you can identify with Jesus. Next it says Jesus lived a life full of sorrows and he was familiar with suffering. Now guys, I just want you to know that does not mean that Jesus was depressed. Jesus did not walk around depressed. No, actually Jesus was quite joyful. It just means that he, he lived with a broken heart. He, he didn't have this glamorous, giddy life on earth where it's like, oh, yay, I'm Jesus. Oh, life is so great. I'm Jesus. Look at, oh, yeah, this is awesome. No, it wasn't that. Jesus every day was brokenhearted. You see, nobody else cared about the blind man. Nobody else cared about the widow. Nobody else cared about the leper. Nobody else cared about the deaf person. Nobody else cared about the orphan. Nobody else cared about the beggar. Nobody cared about injustice or about the problems of this world. But listen to me, Jesus did. And Jesus every day was marked by suffering and sorrow. And that is going to be someone's healing today because your life is filled with suffering and sorrow. And you're going to be able to come alongside of Jesus and align your life with Jesus because you know that this guy is my guy because he understands and he endured what I understand and what I'm having to endure. Jesus was familiar with suffering. He knows what suffering is. Fourth thing. He was constantly undervalued. Says he was despised, we esteemed him not. People didn't give him the proper credit and value. I mean, guys, let's just lay it out for what it is. Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He is the sovereign one. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let me tell you something. When he walked this earth, that certainly was not the case. He was called a drunkard. At one point, he was called a worker of Satan. He was taken advantage of. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was treated like a criminal. And, and on and on I could go. Are, are you feeling me this morning? This was Jesus. This is the master of the universe. And while he walked this worth, earth, everywhere he went, he was constantly undervalued. And that's going to be someone's healing this morning. From the day you have been born, you've been undervalued. You've been underrated, belittled, treated like you have no value or no worth. Maybe you were adopted and you never really felt like you were truly welcomed into the family. You were an outsider. Or maybe you weren't adopted, but your other siblings, they outshine you. Your parents like them more and they treat them better and they value them more. You're just like paint on the wall. And you're just plain ignored. You're set aside. Well, guess what? Jesus knows what that feels like. He experienced that everywhere he went. 
Fifth thing about Jesus is Jesus was touched by our grief and our sorrow. And that means that he understood what it meant to come into contact with what our lives come into contact with. You see, he didn't just sit on the side of the mud hole in his beautiful white robe. No, he hopped right into the mud hole and he got dirty. And that's why this next verse is so hard hitting. It says, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Now, those words stricken and smitten and afflicted, they're not words we really use much in our English language. But what they mean is that Jesus did not just come to this earth and open the door and kind of look all around and go, wow, things are a mess. I'm going to have to do something about it and shut the door again. No, what this passage is telling us is that Jesus was actually touched by what touches our lives. That's what those words mean. The word afflicted means that Jesus was literally touched by our diseases, by our spiritual dilemma. He was defiled by sin. He didn't see it from afar off and go, oh yeah, okay, I'll do something. No, he actually took it on. He became sin on our behalf. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted by our spiritual disease and he took it upon himself. And that truth right there should bring healing to so many of us. Jesus is the faithful high priest who identifies with our suffering. Why? Because he went right through the middle of it. And he knows what you feel. Seventh thing about Jesus is that he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. Now, what does that mean, he was pierced? It means that Jesus was literally pierced. A Roman spear was shoved up through his pericardial sac and water and blood spilled out. And that's how they would see if somebody was dead on the cross, they'd shove that spear up into the side there and blood and water would come out proving he was dead. But because of our transgressions and our wrongdoings, Jesus was pierced. And I realize that none of us have probably ever been pierced by a spear before. At least I hope not. But if I could just pull away from the literal here and just, you could give me permission to just approach this from a different angle. While you may have never been pierced by a spear before, you may be someone who's been pierced by someone's words or actions. And while it may not leave a physical mark, it has ripped your heart to pieces. The words or the actions have struck right to the core of your heart and left it lifeless. Someone's wrongdoing has pierced you. And from that point on, you've, you've bared the marks of it. And my prayer this morning is that you might receive a healing from God. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, our wrongdoings. The eighth thing that happened to Jesus is that Jesus was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, the wrath of God fell down and obliterated the Son of God, crushed him to death, crushed the life right out of him. The weight of our sin crushed him to death. Jesus was crushed. The ninth thing, Jesus was punished. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus was punished. Now let me ask you, those of you who are watching, let me ask you a question. Who usually receives punishment? Who's the person that usually receives punishment? The guilty one, right? Yeah, we all understand punishment. Guilty people are to be punished. It's kind of the law of humanity that makes sense to us. But Jesus was punished. The innocent one was punished. The one who lived a perfect holy life without sin was punished. And why? To bring us peace. 
Punishment was rained down on him so that peace could rain down on us. Jesus was punished. Next thing it said is that Jesus was wounded. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Some translations say by his stripes, we have been healed. And the word wound here is, is kind of like a welt. It's the result of a blow onto the body. And these are things that happened to Jesus the minute he was taken by the soldiers. Jesus was taken by Pilate, and Pilate ordered before he was crucified that he would receive 39 lashes from the Roman soldiers. And it's an incredibly difficult punishment. That means that Jesus was going to be taken out into the courtyard. He was going to have his arms, his hands strapped around a a post. And he was going to be stripped down, naked, his back exposed, helpless, defenseless. And a trained professional would inflict on him 39 lashes, ripping the flesh out of his back. Sometimes it would flip around and hit his face in the inside. And people couldn't take 59, they couldn't take 49, but they found out, the Romans found out that they could, people could live with 39. 40 would kill most of them, but 39 would bring them to the brink of death, but not quite. And lash after lash, this centurion would be pounding on the back of Jesus. And after that 39th lash, his hands would be set free and Jesus would collapse on the concrete. Just a heap of torn flesh. Who knows, probably in and out of consciousness because of the pain, a breath away from death. And that's just one of the things that happened to Jesus. The 11th thing that happened to Jesus was that he took on our sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took on our sin. Our sin was laid on him, placed on him. The sin of the entire world was placed on him. All the wrongdoings placed on him. He took our sin. Next, Jesus was oppressed. Now, what does oppressed mean? It means that from every direction, he was being pressed in upon, pressed down upon. The kingdom of darkness was circling around him, wanting to destroy him. Not only that, Jesus was being put in a spot where he would require to offer up a payment of great price. The burden of the debt of the world was being placed on him. You talk about oppressed, Jesus was oppressed. Next thing it says is that Jesus was slaughtered. Like a, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus was slaughtered. He didn't just die on Good Friday and raise from the dead on Sunday. Jesus was slaughtered. Like an innocent, defenseless lamb, he was slaughtered. Look at what it says there. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In other words, Jesus didn't try to cop out of it. He didn't try to talk his way out of things. He didn't offer any defense. He just stood there and he took it and and he took it. I want you to know why he took it because he understood that our healing was hanging in the balance. And he let them take him out to be slaughtered because of us. 14th thing that happened to Jesus that he was judged by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. You know, we often say, don't judge me, don't judge me. And who knows, maybe we have been judged. But Jesus was taken away and he was judged unjustly by these men, falsely accused, and, and they made their judgments on them. And then beyond that, the judgment of God fell on him. Let me tell you, Jesus knows what it means to be judged in the most intense way possible. The 15th, 15th thing that happened to Jesus if you're still with me, 
I know you guys are probably like, Luke, okay, we get it, we get it. No, we don't get it because we're not done with the chapter yet. I know we want to look away. I understand. We don't like looking at this. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to look. Can we just please fast forward to the resurrection and see when Jesus comes to life? No, we can't. If we want to receive the healing that Jesus offers us, you have to stop and you have to stare at all that happened to Jesus. When you say the work of Christ on the cross, you need to understand the work of Christ on the cross. So we need to focus on the work of Christ. And we need to see it all. The 15th thing that happened to Jesus says he was taken away. Pretty simple phrase there, but Jesus was taken. They didn't ask him nicely. They didn't petition him. No, they just came and they took him. They abducted him. They kidnapped him. They arrested him and he was taken away. 16th thing that happened to Jesus, he was cut off. He was cut off from the land of the living, separated from the land of the living, and because I don't have time to cover all these, I'm just going to mention them, mention them really quick. They're, they're not even numbered. They aren't even mentioned in this chapter in Isaiah, but we know about them because we read about them in the Gospels. But he was betrayed by a good friend for 39 pieces of silver. I looked that up. You know how much that is in today's thing? $185. Can you imagine a good friend betraying you for $185? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested and all of his friends, they fled and deserted him, every single one of them. And the soldiers took him during the night and they spit on him and they ripped his beard out and they humiliated him. They blindfolded him. They they punched him in the face and they asked him, hey, who punched you? Who hit you? Because I thought you were Jesus. I thought you knew everything because you're the Messiah. And they railroaded him through the courts, falsely accusing him. And they pounded a crown of thorns on his head. All this happened to Jesus. Next, in Isaiah 53, it says Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was abandoned by his own father. His own father, who he had always had perfect communion with, turned his back on him and poured out his wrath on him. And Jesus, feeling the pain of this separation, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And next, Jesus died. Jesus, the son of God, the one who created life, he died. He suffered death. He'd done nothing to deserve it, but he died. And the next thing I want you to see that Jesus did is that Jesus became guilty. You know what it's like to bear up under the load of guilt? We know what that burden's like, right? I mean, it will literally inhibit your ability to to function with, with the people around you. It's a serious damaging force in our life. Well, Jesus knows what it's like to feel guilty to be guilty because he became our guilt. And the 20th thing that happened to Jesus is Jesus was tormented. In other words, that means that that Jesus wasn't killed by a firing squad on Friday and suddenly comes to life on Sunday. No, it wasn't an immediate execution. It was a prolonged, excruciating death. And then it was torment in the depths of the earth. He had to endure the torment of his soul. While in the depths of the earth, his soul was tormented by everything that torments you and I. 
Guys, it wasn't enough that he was ordinary in his humanity or that he was despised and rejected and and knew sorrow and grief or that he was undervalued. It wasn't enough that he was touched by our sickness and, and touched by our grief, that he was defiled. It wasn't enough that he was pierced and crushed and punished and wounded and that he took our sin. Wasn't enough that he was slaughtered and judged and cut off and taken and betrayed and arrested and beaten and railroaded and spit upon and died and became guilty. And after all of that, as if that wasn't enough, he was tormented in the darkness. That's what happened to Jesus. And in all of that is where our healing and our freedom is found. You see, because Jesus took the worst. And you want to know why he took the worst? Because sin brings the worst. The payment of sin demands the worst. Now listen to me closely because this second part is very powerful for us to know and we've got to know this. We've been looking at what happened to Jesus And what did Jesus go through? What was the work of Christ? What did he have to endure? But I want us to look at something else. I want us to look at who did this to Jesus. And you know who did this to Jesus? We did. Yes, God offered up his son. And yes, God was overseeing the whole process. And yes, God was putting his son in our place. But God wouldn't have had to do this if we hadn't rebelled against God and by our sin demanded a price to be paid for it. We did this to Jesus. Our sin crushed Jesus on the cross. Are you feeling that this morning? Are you taking ownership of that? Jesus was the innocent one made guilty and was ripped to shreds. He was the one who had no deceit in his mouth and was absolutely devastated by the wrath of God on behalf of my rebellious and my sinful decisions. I'm the one who put Jesus on the cross. I'm the one who put him there. It was my judgment that fell on him. It was my slaughter that he took. It was my payment, my oppressing payment that he was forced to pay. And when he became sin, it was my sin. The wounds that he took on him were my wounds. They were my piercings, my crushing, my punishment, my grief, my sorrow. Jesus took it all because of me and because of you. This is how the chapter ends. For he, Jesus, bore the sin of many. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it was your sins that he bore, your sins that crushed him, your sins that pierced him, your sins that punished him? Do you believe that? Are you taking ownership of that? And you're probably like, Luke, this is so uncomfortable to think about. It's so hard to dig. No, it's not uncomfortable. It's not hard. It's absolutely tragically true. It's our choices that made Jesus have to go through the most intense and most amazing suffering imaginable. It was our sins that did it to him, our choices. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And that's the beauty of what Jesus did. That's the beauty of redemption. 
Jesus went to that cross and he paid for all of your sins, all of them. He paid for them. And then three days later, he climbed out of that grave. He conquered death. He ripped the keys of death from the hands of Satan and he paid for all of our sins so that God could be in our midst today and he could look at someone like me and say, let him go free. Let him go free. I've paid for him. So that he could look at someone like you and say, let, let him go free. Let her go free. I've paid for her. And maybe the voices keep screaming back at you in your head. No, you can't. You can't let her go free. You have no idea what she's done. You have no idea the mistakes she's made. You have no idea. You can't let her go. And Jesus says, no, you let her go free. I've paid for her. You can't let him go free. He, he divorced his wife, ran off with another woman, left his kids, left them all alone, abandoned them. You can't let him go free. And Jesus says, let him go free. I paid for him. I was crushed for him. Well, you can't, you can't let this other guy go free. I mean, he's partied his life away. His alcoholism has ruined his entire family, his marriage, everything. You can't just let him go free. And Jesus says, oh, yes, I can. You let him go free. I paid for him. Well, what about her? You can't let her go free. She's sniffed her family's fortune up her nose. She's an addict. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I can. You let her go free. I've paid for her. Well, what about her? She committed an abortion just to, for convenience sake. She took her own baby's life. You can't let her go free. And Jesus says, Watch me. I paid for her. Let her go free. What about this young girl who's, who she's just ruining her body with an eating disorder and, and she's cutting herself and she's just damaging everything. You cannot let her go free. And Jesus said, yes, I can. You let her go free. I have paid for her. You see, guys, when a holy God looks at his son and says, how are we going to let all these people go free like that? Our resurrected Jesus, our resurrected Lord, he does this. He holds out his nail-scarred hands and he says, this is how. Here's how, Father. I took all the blows. I took all the sorrow. I took all the grief and all the hurt and all the pain and all the sin. And I got the marks on my body to prove it. I've paid for it. And because of my stripes, I say, let them go free. Let them all go free. Cover all the sin. Wash away all the shame. Wipe away the tide of guilt. And let them know the freedom of forgiveness. The freedom of being called sons and daughters of God. The freedom of being alive. The freedom of having a future. The, the freedom of knowing that we have a place with God. The freedom of knowing that they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The freedom of of knowing that in Jesus Christ, everything is changed, everything is settled, everything is paid for, everything is done. The work is finished. It can't be added to, it can't be taken away from, it can't be changed. Jesus places his hands on your shoulders and he looks at you in the eyes and he says, it's done, it's finished, I've paid for it. The price has been paid, it's settled. 
Well, Jesus, these voices, they, they just keep telling me it's not settled. Well, that vow, that voice needs to bow to the hand that bears the marks. Because our resurrected Lord has settled it all. And I realize there may be some of you here today who are watching and you're like, man, this is great. But you want to talk about your hurt and you want to talk about your pain and, and the ones who inflicted it on you and you want to make them pay. But you need to understand this morning that your healing will not come by making them pay. Your healing will come by you understanding that we made Jesus pay. And when we finally understand that the payment that got put on him is enough, we can be healed. And guys, it's not going to happen. It has already happened. It has been paid. Jesus died on that cross and Jesus rose from the grave. Our Jesus is alive. Amen? And everything that was accomplished on that cross solidified, was solidified by the resurrection. It happened. It's done. It's past tense. It's been paid. You can keep trying to give them your credit card, but you can't add to it. You can't change it. You can't do anything about it. It has been paid. And the only thing that we can do, the only thing that you and I can do is to bow our heads and to say those two words that's so hard for any human being to say, but we need to say it. We need to look at Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you. Jesus, we say that this morning. Thank you. If you hadn't have gone through all of that, none of us today would be able to be set free. But you paid it all. You paid it all. And then you rose again three days later and you solidified that payment by proving that you are Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We all say thank you. Amen. Let's continue to worship.